Traveling the Vortex Join Monsieur Rigo as he travels the Vortex and arrive at episode 565. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How's everybody doing this How's week? How's it going? you guys yeah, do anything fun bad. and exciting? Did you go see anything? Watch any shows? I know I did something that Sean did, but um, I'll let him go first. What did I do? You went and saw a play. Oh, I did go see a play. Musical. That, that, that was work, so I don't tend to think of it. As <laughs> Wait, you, you were working? Yeah, I, uh, I'm the archivist for because of Ah, uh, so were you doing video then? Yep. Ah, okay. Very good. Not that it's much work. But well, and it's kind of fun because you get to come see the show. So. It does, yes. Uh, so Glenn and I got to go see 9 to 5, the musical. Man, that was, was so good. Fun. <laughs> Just the delight good music and songs and a lot of energy and I tell you the um I've been to a few recently I saw something rotten which I enjoyed and I saw West Side Story which I also enjoyed but of those more recent ones that I've seen at TCT this one like you said it really felt like it had the the energy and it really felt like an even bigger than production that I had seen at TCT for a long time. So wow. very, very impressed. Um, it takes a few liberties, but it sticks pretty close to the uh, story of the movie. Of course, there's a lot of original songs in it, all written by Dolly Parton, um, which was kind of fun. But for the most part, the story is the same as the, the movie. And now I mentioned to go watch the movie again. So <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fun. Nice. What else, Sean? Did you do anything else? I'm plum out of things. I did finish um, Only Murders in the Building, which I thought ended really, really well this year. And I did what finish. The of Ahsoka? I did finish Ahsoka too, and really, really enjoyed that. Sean, are you caught I up? Ahsoka as well. Yay! What'd you guys think? I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Very, very good. Um, Phenomenal lightsaber battles. Yes, I enjoyed the the pacing. Um, which, interestingly enough, I guess the lightsabers uh, may be tied in with the reason these look so much better is uh, Disney apparently has finally figured out the battery pack thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh. Because you know, they, they went to this system where they were actually able to illuminate the sabers on set. Mm -hmm. And they thought that it would save a bunch of time instead of having to go in rotoscope and animate them um, in, in post. Uh, unfortunately it required a bunch of wires to run, you know, up the sleeve of the costume and, um, the, the you know, big, heavy batteries. And then apparently in uh, the case of Obi-Wan, the blue light from his saber, uh, did something that it affects the 4k cameras. Oh no. <laughs> and so it, it was like blowing everything out and yeah. they didn't realize it until, you know, they got into the editing room and went, what the heck? Uh, which is why all of the Obi-Wan fight scenes are so super dark. Dark, yeah, I noticed Because that. they had to go back and turn the gain down in order to compensate for the fact that that blue light was just doing something. And I, I think they have it fixed now. But yeah. Yeah, apparently the new well, batteries. They, batteries that... they still, they still, they still, let's not, let's not simplify this too much. They still go in a rotoscope and, and put the, the blade in there on those. But now they, the, 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 Stunt swords, lighting effects yeah. The the stunt right. swords light up so that the lighting effect uh, bounces back off the actor's face and and the environment around them. So correct. But yes, the uh, they they certainly have got it minimalized so that they uh, can be completely free of the wiring, like you were talking. They about. even figured out the blue. Yeah, they yeah. waited till the end, but they figured out the blue. <laughs> yeah, that's and, true. Uh, yeah, just uh, just super good. Really, really enjoyed it. Really, uh, I'm a little, I don't know if I want to say unsatisfied with the ending. Obviously, it's not an ending. Well, that's just so, it. Yeah. I think if that were the end, yeah, I would be unsatisfied as well. I, I like it because it feel again, feels like a Star Wars film because it feels like this is the end of the first film. 
And then we're, the next season will be the beginning of the next film. You know, so it just still has that feel. Yeah, I agree. It's very uh, movie vibe. Um, love the practical effects and creatures and mm-hmm. uh, just just so much of it that felt like, wow, you know, this is this is Star Wars. And could I be any more in love with David Tennant than I already am? <laughs> <laughs> This is the year of David Tennant for sure. Oh, yeah, it, it really totally is. is. I really liked how they, um, you know, the, the stormtroopers showed up earlier, and everyone was claiming what they thought the stormtroopers were, and they proved everyone wrong, but still gave them that at the same time. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I nice. don't. I guess I don't know what the story behind that is. Oh, everyone online was saying, "Oh, these are dead troopers. They're oh, oh. they're they're zombies." Not yet. And no, <laughs> and they, were. they weren't. And then they became them. <laughs> Which I thought was a nice little dig of, ha, you're wrong yeah. again. Yeah. But here you go. I'll give it to you anyways. <laughs> no, I hadn't. I actually hadn't heard that. So, Because how many times has fandom gone, oh, it's this, it's this. And they're always wrong. Mm-hmm. Like the speculation on the mask guy. Yeah, that being nothing. Yeah, it ended up being absolutely nothing. I was a bit disappointed with that. I thought they could have. Oh, I was so happy about that. <laughs> it didn't need to be anything. Yeah. I, I was, was disappointed that Glenn was not correct. <laughs> but beyond that, I was happy it wound up being nothing because uh, they wouldn't it, have it, had time for that in the story. Yeah, yeah, it didn't really need to be. And I think if they wanted to do that, they could have sowed those seeds a little further than they did. And then stretched out that whole beginning part and made it longer. Well, no, I mean, they wouldn't have had to done d- done that this season and they wouldn't have had to dispatch that character. They could have. Oh, yeah. They yeah. could have kept the mystery into next season, but that's all right. If we get a next season, it might just be wrapped up in that movie he's going to do. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I feel like we need another season before we get a movie. I, I feel like there's still too much unfinished story um specifically with where it kind of sort of implies that balen is heading um that we're going to the the mortis um arc and that's the part that i'm not sure i'm happy about because that was not a stretch of clone wars that i particularly enjoyed were those well, of episodes and what's so unfortunate is the fact that that actor has passed. So I'm not sure how even they're going to tackle that storyline if they do in the future. Yeah. It would almost have to be extended media in order to truly tell whatever story he was going to tell. I mean, you'd have to recast him, unfortunately. There's, Which I don't know if, yeah, I wouldn't like that. Time will tell. Yep. Did you guys watch or do anything else? We also finished Good Omens this week. Mm. We have one episode left, I believe. Super good. Super enjoyable. More David Tennant awesomeness. (laughs) (laughs) That's about it. Keith, what about you? Anything else? Uh, We watched the first episode of Loki, which I really enjoyed. Mm, It really just picks up and and runs with what's going on. Yeah. Really hitting the ground running, and I'm liking that aspect of it. Yeah, how did I forget about that? <laughs> that was <laughs> such a good first episode. Yeah. That yeah. really feels like, well, of course, Loki, I think, still is one of the best things they've done on television. Mm-hmm. And this just proves that that show is good, that they, they've got it right. They've got whatever formula everything else had. They still have it. So. Mm-hmm. We also watched that, I guess. I didn't think about it. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a good Obviously episode that we completely forgot about it. <laughs> no, it's not so much that as it was just, I've been so busy with everything that's going on at work yeah. that I, you know, yeah, shows, that's just our normal thing. So it wasn't really, but um, I, I do remember making the comment we were wondering, is like, oh, is there a recap anywhere for season one? Because I remember bits and pieces of it, but I don't know that I really remember you know, how we left it and it came up said previously on and it kind of gives you just a, just enough, but not really an in-depth one. And then the episode ended and I started laughing and they said, what? I was like, I, I suddenly remembered now. I have no idea what's going on in Loki. 
but I'm enjoying the ride so much that I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and that was kind of the vibe for me all throughout season one. So I didn't need a recap because I went into season two and went, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Loki's on my screen? Okay. I'll yeah. watch it. Well, if you do want to recap, the, the Marvel's Legends does a decent job at least recapping the TVA and uh, variants. Yeah. Oh, okay. And Maybe short. we'll look that up before next week. Yeah, so kind of gives you a nice refresher. You've only watched the Loki series one time, then Keith or Sean? Yes, Keith. How many times? Same here. Oh, same. Only once. Yeah. How many times have you watched it? (laughs) Well, (laughs) four. (laughs) Oh, geez. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I watched it the first time. Then we went back and watched it when Holly started watching, and then we went back, and then that was one that Caitlin was at school at the time, so we went back and started watching it again with her. And then I watched it one more time before knowing that the next season was coming out about a month ago. So Sarah and I had discussed wanting to rewatch it in advance of this, but just never found the time. Yeah. I was like, who, who has time to rewatch? Stuff? Well, I had time back <laughs> a month or two ago. And now I'm now that we're in uh, uh, October, now that we're into fall, I've got all kinds of crazy stuff going on, but. It's someone who has grown up children who doesn't don't necessarily want to spend a lot of time with them and watch I, what they want to watch. I am now enjoying <laughs> what you guys, when I had kids that were little and you guys had no kids, I'm now, we're like reversed. I'm like enjoying yeah, this. Yeah. I can just go wherever I want, do whatever I want, whenever I want, and not worry about little ones anymore. And you guys are now in that phase of little ones, so. I've watched so many YouTube videos of a guy walking through Spirit of Halloween. <laughs> actually, that'd be kind of fun. It, it, it's not, it's actually, pretty good, actually. I think I'd watch it's that only... without a kid. <laughs> <laughs> this guy travels around the country and just visits Spirit of Halloween. Last year, he came here. This oh, really? Year he didn't. Oh, yeah. well, it, it hasn't changed much this year. It's just new, new well, merchandise. Yeah, that's the thing, is every year they have new animatronics. And so or predominantly new animatronics. So he goes around and sees how all the stores are set up and you get to see all the different animatronics and if they work. Yeah. Ours are all <laughs> still working. Don't. I was just in there over the weekend and they're all still working. So we, we went in over the weekend too. And Liam was very disappointed that they took down one of them. Well, which one did they take down? I didn't notice. Uh, inside the mausoleum, there's supposed to be two. Oh, the scarecrow and the guy with daggers. You're right. And, the dagger guy's That's, gone. Yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, yeah, I I didn't even notice that until you just brought it up, but you're right. Oh, he noticed right away. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's been watching all these videos. Yeah, yeah. We've gone there three times now because he likes it so much. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've only been there twice so far this season. Mostly because they keep sending me 20% off coupons. <laughs> <laughs> he really wants to buy some one of those. And I'm like, they're expensive. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to sure. buy one of those to set it up. Not sure on that. Well, Keith, I, I did you... watch a, Go ahead. a Halloween movie, too. Oh, what'd you I watch? watched uh, Trick or Treat. Oh, how is okay. that? That's on my watch list. I wasn't overly impressed. Oh, no. It's structured really cleverly and really well done in that manner. But... Because it's it's told non-linearly mm-hmm. uh, and jumping between stories, but it sticks with the story throughout its completion pretty much, for the most part. And then it kind of backs up and goes to a different plot thread of all these things that are happening all at the same time, yeah. which that part is done really well. It's just the stories themselves were kind of okay. There's a couple of them that were really cool, and a couple of them were like, this doesn't even make that much sense. <laughs> why and how is this even happening uh, it, yeah brian cox is unrecognizable in this movie oh really we are going on a journey a very long journey through the world of the target novelizations and publication order every week we are looking at a new book talking about terrence Dix, malcolm hulk and all our doctor who novelization friends whatever you do keep turning the pages this is jason miller of the doctor who literature podcast a member of the direction point podcast network and you are listening to traveling the vortex a direction point podcast they all say who is doctor who 
This is Tim Trelaw. This is David J. Howe. I'm Peter Purvis. I am Sadie Miller. This is Lauren Cornelius. Larry, it's Fraser. For all things in the Doctor Who collecting world and beyond, the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. I'm Larry Van Mersberg, and your host, and I've been collecting for 42 years. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex on the Direction Point Podcast Network. Well, the other thing I did was I listened to the Fifth Doctor Adventures in the Nights, which is my something new two-minute review. So this is a, a box set of two different Fifth Doctor stories that don't connect at all, other than it's the Fifth Doctor, Tegan, and Nyssa all together. The first one, the story itself is really good. It's called The Pursuit of the Night Jar, and it's about the Doctor and Nyssa and Tegan land on the spaceship and it's on this mercy mission uh, in the middle of this war. And it's this big historical, future historical event that the Doctor is f- very familiar with. And then things don't go quite right and go awry. And it, the Doctor has to take a bigger role in the story than he anticipates. And the reason why is very clever. Um, I don't want to spoil that, but it's really good. Um Nissa and Tegan get a lot to do in it on our fantastic. And it, it really builds up the relationship that I think has kind of just dis- been discovered in the audios between the two of them, because they seem to be really, really tight in the story. And then the other story is called, oh, I just blanked on the name of it. It's set in 82 about a rock band in Poland and kind of during their kind of political turmoil that was happening at the time um and things kind of get wonky and the doctor obviously gets involved because it's political turmoil (laughs) but it it's it's an okay story it's nowhere near as good as the first one it's also half the length of the first one the first one's a four-part half hour stories the second one's only a two part so it feels a little bit more rushed but at the same time the story doesn't feel like it warrants more than that so it's a kind of a a weird dichotomy of this box set being the first half really fantastic and the second half being just okay Hmm. and that's my something new slightly longer than two minute review (laughs) (laughs) two minute ish (laughs) 10 seconds over not bad i'll have to check it out (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely worth listening to. You are invited on an adventure across all of time and space, in a completely random order. It's the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. Jump in the TARDIS with your hosts, Eric Goldbranson, Asad Cheshki, and Matthew Kressel. Explore Doctor Who TV stories, audio adventures, and books, both novels and non-fiction. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. It's the entire Hooniverse. On Shuffle, the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a member of the Direction Point Network and is available about once a month wherever you find your podcasts. You are listening to Traveling the Vortex. Hi, I'm Rupert Booth. I am known as Paul Ferry. And my name is Barry Williams. Together, we host Time Ram. Time Ram's a cruel mistress. It's a random number generator. That also. We roll a number from 1 to 30, and that's our doctor. Then 1 to 300 for the story, and then we ram them together. Even if it doesn't make sense. Cruel, I tell you. Time Ram, putting the wrong doctors in the wrong stories, so you don't have to. You're listening to Travelling the Vortex. All right, well, here's the part where we talk about some upcoming conventions. A couple of these we've already talked about. Oktoberfest 2023 Collision is coming up October 21st in Plainfield, Indiana in the U.S., and the uh, big guest there is Sophie Aldred. And uh, if you are able to make it to that, make sure that you uh, say hello to uh, Larry Van Mersbergen. He is the um, host of the Doctor Who Collectors podcast, and he is also uh, in charge of Direction Point uh, podcast, Doctor Who podcast network, which we are a part of. And he is, I think, doing a collector's panel 
uh, at the show. So be sure to tell him hi if you see him. Also coming up, Saratoga Comic Con happening in Saratoga Springs, New York on November 18th to the 19th. And that one's featuring Eric Roberts. And then the Wales Comic Con, which is overseas, is happening in Telford on the same weekend, November 18th to the 19th. Um, that one's got Alex Kingston, Paul McGann, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, Peter Davison, David Bradley, among others. And then finally, of course, uh, Thanksgiving weekend will be Chicago TARDIS in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, that's November 24th and 26th. And that one features Lisa Barrowman, Michael Troughton, who's now uh, portraying the second doctor in audios, Colin Baker, Carol Ann Ford, Peter Davison, Fraser Hines, and Sylvester McCoy, among others. Be sure to check that out if you're here in the Chicago area. And as always, if anybody is going to one of these conventions and would like to act as a roving reporter for Traveling the Vortex, let us know. Absolutely. Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whip. And every two weeks or so, I'm joined by a two- to three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including... Dalton Hughes. And... Alison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point podcast. All right, well, let's move on to our reviews. This this week we are going to start out with the uh, Big Finish Audio Once in Future Time Lord Memorial. This is the um, sixth entry in the uh, series that they're doing for the year. Once upon a Gallifrey. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, Once and Future, Time Lord Immemorial. What have you done to my console room? This is my console room. You're trespassing. You're, You're from, from an alternate, alternate universe. universe. Or, or rather, you are. We were friends a long time ago. I've changed a lot since then. <laughs> What was that? Degeneration. You said degenerating is like a sort of reverse regeneration. Sand. It's pouring through the walls. Silicons. They look like an army. The sands of time are running out. And they're starting to march. Time itself is unraveling. They're gaining on us. Talk about quicksand. Right, here goes. Wait for me! Oh my, it can't be. It is. It's the Hall of the Time Lord Immemorial. The Doctor. Always the Doctor. Big finish for the love of stories. I'm the Lumiat. Would you mind terribly giving me a hand to save the multiverse? Slipping between bodies, the Ninth Doctor finds his TARDIS caught between universes as the cosmos start to break down. A Doctor from another reality arrives when they j- and they join voice- forces with Liv, Chinka, and the Lumiats to find the cause. Someone has desecrated the mythical Hall of the Time Lord Immemorial, where the sands of time from the multiverse are held, and those sands are running out. <laughs> Really? Yeah. So not as good. Oh, not as good I'm as not, so? <laughs> not as good as last week. And here's here's why it gets the dun 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 from me. The performances in this are amazing. Everybody that is in this is on their A game. It is so cool to number one hear David uh, Warner again um, as the uh, alternate Doctor or Unbound Doctor. I. It actually made me sad that this is the last thing that we're going to get from him. Now, we have mm-hmm. other audios that he's done that I really feel like we need to go back and listen to. Um, but uh, it was really a joy to hear him. The interaction between him and the Ninth Doctor, uh, Christopher Eccleston, uh, the, uh, just everything surrounding the performance of this was really, really good. The story suffers a little bit 
partly because we obviously aren't familiar with some of the things that have taken place before this. Like um, the Lumiette. Yeah, like the Lumiette, which I, I wish I had pushed harder the year of the Master anniversary when Masterful came out. I, I think we got we had that on the schedule, then we dropped it off for some reason. And I wish I'd have pushed for this to get keep that on the schedule now that I know that that's kind of where that's birthed from. Um, and then, of course, we haven't gotten much audio at all with uh, Liv uh, Chinka, which I think has primarily well, been an Eighth Doctor uh, companion, right? She actually started in Missy Volume 2, so we were on our way there. We just never made it because ah, okay. we listened to Volume 1, so and then she reappears in Masterful. Okay, so there you go. But she's, I'm, like we I'm right, though. She's, she's characters that we kind of went right up to them, but didn't actually yeah. get to them. But I'm right, though. She has been featured in some Eighth, Do- Eighth Doctor stuff recently, right? Um, I don't think so. Least, Not according okay. to the TARDIS wiki. At least the the actress then is playing another character in something else. Because she might be. I've yeah. seen her on the cover of that. So of some of those. Yeah. So uh, unfortunately, because we don't have a lot of background on these characters, it falls down. But also, I kind of feel like the story tried to be this really grand multi-universe ending event that feels like a bottle episode it really feels like everything is being contained in one location now granted they they start with at this beach there's part of it in the tardis but then it all ends up in this immemorial uh, location and it's really hard to follow and it's like a big grand story that they're trying to simplify and i think that that kind of does a detriment to the story because it feels like there could have been more there. They could have broadened it out a little more. It could have been a little more impactful, but, but because it is one of these anniversary stories that they're just kind of having fun with, I think it kind of becomes a little bit of a letdown from that perspective, because I think the story could have been better. Um, I did like, uh, what was it? They kept calling it the diamond, um, diamond array, diamond array. I did think that was a clever, thing to put in it i don't think i understood the <laughs> diamond uh, array um at all but uh, i thought that was kind of clever but seeing that this is the diamond anniversary um it's it's kind of kitschy but i think it was i think it was a cool ad and then um i think the other thing is i really want to know uh, they left that cliffhanger with him finding out that the union was involved in causing the doctor's regenerations or degenerations and so leading into that, I kind of felt like we were on that path because at the first, the doctor's saying, okay, the union, I'm going to find the union, blah, blah, blah. And then it's kind of like this diverts us into another direction. We do get a name drop or, or at least, um, clarification on yeah, what the union is. The Lumiat, yeah, you know, I think it's Lumiat, it says that, you know, the union is not a group, it's a person. And so we get a little bit of that, but then we have to put it back on course so that we can obviously wrap this up next month. Although technically it's not a wrap up because we've got a coda next year, but uh, this will be the wrap up for the anniversary special. So I, I I liked it. I enjoyed it. I had fun listening to it. I just think that the story was a bit weak and could have, could have been stronger. Yeah. I think it's a weakness in the fact of that the format, we had to rush through everything and couldn't really explore it. Um, I, I, I have some of the same issues with the Lumiat, just that we didn't have the back knowledge, but it also at the end of it implied that she was degenerating also. Yeah. So this was just the master again, just flitting through her incarnations. It's just, we didn't know what this incarnation was. So it, it feel like it still worked and I was okay with it by the end of it. It was just while listening to it, I go, well, who is this Lumiat and why is this the master? And they gave us, they did kind of give us enough explanation in the story especially because Liv needed to know yeah. Um, to kind of give us context for her character, which it's funny that we had Missy last time and we're talking about how she was possibly on the, you know, road to redemption and that in that time frame for her, when this is obviously <laughs> the exact same thing, just a different incarnation doing yeah, this, doing true. that. My where it falls down for me more more than anything is the resolution of them standing in a circle holding hands and chanting just <laughs> fixes the problem. I expect a little bit more of a of a 
something to resolve it other than to stand with the four people that are quote unquote foretold and chance the thing that's been known forever to solve the problem. It just felt like a easy get out of jail free card. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I had a fantastic time listening to it. Hearing uh, Christopher Eccleston and David Warner together was absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then pa- each of the pairings together was great too. The ninth doctor and the Lumiat, David Warner and the Lumiat live with, uh, the ninth doctor who obviously knows who she is. So it's later in his timeline than when he left her, mm-hmm. um, which obviously I don't know when that is or how that happens, but it does. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, even David Warner and, and live, I thought had great chemistry. Mm-hmm. So the, the writing I thought just needed more time to explore the ideas of what's going on in this story. Both of you are, absolutely correct um in pretty much all of your points um certainly the highlight of this one is the cast and the performances that that, that come out of them uh, david warner i've always felt is a, a a worldwide treasure and uh so getting more of him as the doctor is uh if, if anybody should have played the doctor in live action on tv that's my pick hmm. you know because uh, he would have been, he would have been this good. Um, I really enjoyed hearing Eccleston again, and it, it's um, much like the kind of the last one. It's it's made me quite nostalgic for mm-hmm. for that era of, of who. Um, I was so very intrigued by the character of, of the Illuminati that I. I that part of the story still worked for me. Although, as you said, Glenn, I feel like, you know, we did ourselves a disservice by not getting to those other stories beforehand, but now I'm really ready to Mm -hmm. get to those stories. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And honestly, kind of the same with, with Liv. Um, She was a, a, a very engaging companion and I would like to kind of see, all right, what have you got in store for us in a, a, you know, a, a, a proper, a story from your era because I, I'm, 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 I'm digging, I'm digging the vibe. So all, all of that was great. Unfortunately, the plot is in my mind, very much a letdown. Um, it makes sense in a way that due to the, the, the parallel nature of uh, the who multiverse, that if the doctor was struck by a degeneration gun in one, that it would also be affecting him in another but we never really quite got there. Um, so can I, I feel, can I stop yeah, you on ahead. that one? Because I, I to, to that point, I never got the impression that the alternate doctor was in a degenerative uh, state. Did you Keith? There was something at the end that made me think that also. But then he went away fine, so I'm not... No. I take that back. I, you're right. I did not get that in- impression. It was only in that one instance when everybody was almost degenerating and no one actually did. Yeah, right, right. Because it wasn't... Nobody was actually degenerating, but yeah. Right, because they were in that safe space. Right, right. So, so yeah, I don't, Sean, I don't think that the alt doctor was experiencing the, the same degenerative uh, states that the doctor in our universe has. Well, there were several, I want to say there were about three where he kind of was, uh, and, you know, definitely reacting to something that was happening. And then it just stopped. Well, I think and he was, I, wasn't he reacting to the, what was it, the silicate? Is that what they called the bad guys in this? Or not the bad, they weren't yeah. even really bad guys. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Uh, but the, I think he was, re- I thought he was reacting to the silicate whenever they were like um, being overwhelmed by the, 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 the sand anyway. I thought those yeah. were the times that he was reacting to the, what seemed to be affecting him. Perhaps I could be wrong, but I, I I didn't get that impression from this story that he was. And I, 
to to be quite honest, there was no real reason for him to be there. <laughs> um, yeah, it's the other part it, of it. Other it, than be, this is between universes. Well, that's what I was gonna I say. Mean, they, 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 there's just enough of a thread to make it work because yeah, it is between universe. They are between universes. They are essentially trying to save the multiverse or, <laughs> or these different multiverses uh, out there, and so. It works in that way, but really, I think it was just a way to team the. I think somebody said, "Hey, let's team these doctors up." And the other ironic thing about this is, Christopher Eccleston. Eccleston has this is his first multi-doctor story, and he has been very uh-huh. vocal about thinking that multi-doctor stories were gimmicky, and he didn't like them. <laughs> luckily, unless it's David Warner. <laughs> luckily, they got a really good friend of his, and uh, you know, one of his mentors or inspirations, anyway, and uh, paired him up that way. So we got him into a multi multi doctor story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the other part of it. Is, is you know, it's David Warner, so I'm not going to complain. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's just an automatic because I, I I love David Warner. But if you were to pull at that thread all of a sudden the, the 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 reason for it being there begins to kind of fall apart and as good as he was as good as the chemistry between him and some of the er- uh, other characters was i don't think it was as good as say when uh, the jackie story and you know, or or in a, a last week's when or last times when we had uh, the mm-hmm. Paternoster gang teaming up, that there were much better combinations of people with a much more valid reason for becoming a combo yeah. than what we were given here. Yeah, this this kind of lands in the line of uh, well, like the Fifth Doctor one, where we kind of felt like it was just there to be there. Um, yeah. It, but I think I'm I think I'm a lot more forgiving on these uh, once and future stories because. They just, I mean, that's what I expect from an episode, from an anniversary episode anyway, is just some kind of pulling a bunch of, you know, people from the past together and mixing things up and seeing who works with what. I think it, I think it, for me, it, I'm still enjoying these stories, but I agree that this falls into that realm of they just kind of did it to say they could do it. So, yeah. And I'll freely admit that it may simply be a matter of, oh my goodness, there's a lost David Warner audio out there that we didn't know was coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe my internal expectations were a little mm-hmm. too high mm-hmm. than for, for what was actually going on. But the overall plot, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a sidestep from, uh, you know, the search for the Union. And it very much felt like it was just thrown in there because we needed to pad out the numbers mm-hmm. to get to, you know, the inevitable end point uh, for, for once in future. Although I, well, they're, they're, listening to the bonus features, it does sound like they didn't plan on this story yeah. or Christopher Eccleson. And they said, and he was then interested and available. So they said, okay, let's slip something in. Yeah. It, it very much sounded like that. This, you're, this is exactly why this particular story happened. In fact, that's and probably they, why they, they, Planetoid 50 leads us into that tease of, okay, we're, we're coming to the conclusion with mentioning the union and then pulling away from it for this one and then bringing us back at the end of this one. So that's probably why it was done that way. And they did make further attempts besides the union to connect it. You know, the fact that the, whatever degeneration weapon supposedly includes these sands of time mm-hmm. right. was, was an, a, a good connecting thread. Although it felt like a repetitive connecting thread since I thought something else, you know, <laughs> was part of this degeneration weapon. Well, they cover that previously. They did. It was in the, um, well, let's see. The fifth doctor was looking for the weapon or looking for, yeah, was looking for an element of the weapon, but I don't think he found it. But then it, it was, was the sixth doctor. The sixth one. doctor. Yeah. When the one with Harry and Harry buys the, is there first to buy the, whatever that device was before the doctor got there. But that wound up, didn't that wind up being a, uh, a misdirection that it wasn't actually part of it. It was just something oh, else yeah. that no, can right. do it. Yeah, you're right. It was. It so wasn't I, I, I guess this. Thing. Yeah, at least explains what it is, or what's included in it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have I, to uh, we'll have to see where they go from here because I mean, I think one of the things that Sean expressed, and I, I kind of 
have that sentiment as well as we've got this, we're calling this once in future. And really all we've done is string together a bunch of different fun stories. I think if the ends justify the means, meaning this last story ends up being really, really good um, and sort of ties everything back together in, in a neat little way, I think I'll be a, a lot more pleased with it, but I, I certainly haven't hated the ride. So I don't want to give the impression that I hated it. I just, this particular story, there's an episode of GI Joe where the Joes and Cobra are fighting and they wind up in an Egyptian, the temple of Osiris and literally go on a supernatural metaphysical journey where they meet the gods. And the whole exercise feels like what? just because it's so far out of left field and that's kind of what this one reminded me of because we we get a little bit of time lord of memorial he's a god he's you know it's a myth it's something that that doesn't really exist and yet here we are but none of those reactions seemed big enough to warrant the fact that here we are you know what i mean um, when, when Big Finish has done things like Zagreus or, uh, you know, kind of set up these 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 mythical impossibilities, there's always a, a, a much bigger brouhaha about it. And, uh, you know, understandably, we only have an hour and we've got to get going. But it just no, nobody really delivered the wow factor for me that we are we are standing here in this place that shouldn't exist. And, and you know. They, they just rolled with it a little too quickly for me. Mm-hmm. And then once we get to the, the, the actual sands of time running out, as Keith said, well, we're going to join hands and sing Kumbaya and that'll fix it. <laughs> it's like, okay, you, you've already kind of stretched my, my believability on this one. Cause as I've said before, I like a little more science in my doctor who than, than, than whatever, you know, we've got going on here. And now it's prophesized, and there 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 is no scientific basis behind it. It just works, and it, it, it's eh, all right. I, overall, you put all these little things together that just didn't work up with the plot, and I, I really kind of was super disappointed that this was the last David Warner story. Um, it just. You know, I, I really am trying to hold on to the, the, the performance parts of it that I liked. But plot-wise, it didn't do anything for me at all. Mm. It just, yeah, it just didn't work. So I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. But, yeah, not for me. <laughs> well, like I say, we they're going to wrap it up uh, later this month, actually. I think the next one comes out later this month. So they'll, they'll wrap it up. And as you said, there's always hope. Maybe it'll uh, something will come together and we'll go, oh. <laughs> probably not, but, <laughs> but I'm, 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 kind of I'm hopeful, but probably not. <laughs> well, let's move on to our next review. Um, we're actually uh, reviewing a book as well this week. We're reviewing the timeless adventures, the unofficial story of how doctor who conquered television. This is written by Brian J. Robb and uh, comes to us from our friends at Polaris publishing. I do. Let's hear it. Opening with an in-depth account of the creation of the series within the BBC of the early 1960s, this investigation tackles each decade of the show through a unique political, pop culture, and historical viewpoint, exploring the links between contemporary Britain and the stories Doctor Who told, as well as how such links kept the show popular. Chapters range from discussions on the cultural and political relevance of monsters like the Daleks and the Cybermen, The book also addresses the late 1980s cancellation of the show and ways in which narrowly focused, dedicated fandom contributed to the show's demise, yet was also instrumental in its regeneration for the 21st century under Russell T. Davies. Lastly, this critical history analyzes the new series to to reveal what has made it so popular and how much it reflects real-world issues such as consumerism and dieting. Keith, you want to go first? Oh, sure. Uh, I thought this was a very thorough book. Um, And it did a really good job kind of especially diving into the early 60s time frame of how the show was made. 
uh, and like I said, lots of details um, throughout all of that. And then I felt like it kind of started glossing over things once it kind of got into the later part of Tom Baker's run. It felt like the transition to John Nathan Turner, he started, the, the author felt like he got more critical of what was happening as opposed to being more factual. Um, especially when it came to the sixth doctor and the seventh doctor, it felt like he just glossed over most of that while touching on aspects. And I, I know that it felt like it seemed like a lot of his focus was looking at the parallels in the real world examples of where they were pulling the story ideas from. Mm Mm-hmm. And the fact that that's those that time frame in the eighties didn't do that as often, but it felt like he still didn't quite dedicate the same amount of time exploring other aspects of the show. I, I think, but I thought I think you're absolutely right. I think that's where that falls down. Is he does throughout the early part of the book and the later part of the book, especially in the New Who era, he does seem to make parallels between political and social and things that are you know happening in the real world and how they they're being reflected on television in these stories but you're right he really kind of has this hole in the middle where he almost doesn't feel like he has it seems like he doesn't have much to write about other than just kind of factual information because and he makes the comment that the during the JNT years, he goes years, to great lengths to yeah, point that out. <laughs> well, the JNT years stepped away from that political commentary. They stepped away from that social commentary, and so I think that that's where the middle feels kind of empty because it feels like he's talking about one thing here, and then in the middle he does he just feels like he doesn't have a lot to say, so he glosses over he he takes makes digs at JNT and then glosses over everything else before getting into New Who. So I would agree that 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 was kind of one of the things that I was a little disappointed with. It and almost it has... felt like the middle section was ghost written because the, 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 the beginning is so in depth and, and, and really pretty fascinating. It's a dry read, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- there, there was a lot of background stuff uh, in, in the beginning chapters that stories that I didn't know. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of information out there that was new to me, which as a Doctor Who fan is like, ah, cool. And then as Keith pointed out, suddenly we get to this middle section and it becomes very almost clickbaity where it's, it's kind of, it's the same stories that, that, you know, if you were to ask somebody and they say, well, fandom doesn't like this era because it, it kind of felt like they were just regurgitating those talking points. Uh, you know, there, there was nothing new there. There was nothing um, unusual and uh, almost like a Google search says that fans don't like this era. So I'm going to write that we don't like this era and move on. And I kind of felt like it, it, it just, it just fell off so much during that middle part. But then fortunately, yes, it did pick back up again a little bit with, uh, with new who toward the end. It, it finally almost felt like he discovered a crutch which was a very interesting crutch in my opinion of the allegories between what was happening in the real world and what was happening on the show that those sections i thought were absolutely fascinating and i loved reading them but it felt it just i wanted the same sort of dedication put into exploring the stories that we got during the jnt era and obviously this author didn't like that time frame mm-hmm. because later he obviously liked the Matt Smith era and that didn't have as many allegories, but he still dedicated a heavy amount of time focusing on the Matt Smith run and Moffat's run. So it it felt like there was too much of his own bias in this story, in this book, especially later on when he's target, it felt like he was targeting Jodie Whittaker and her acting when he didn't address the acting of any other actor previously mm-hmm. and i maybe i'm not plugged into fandom enough to know that a lot of people complained about her acting yeah i i i, I heard the complaints of you know the writing's not as good or the stories aren't as good and i never really heard many complaints about her acting not being up to snuff and so i was i was a little shocked to read that section of the book 
and felt like it was a a biased opinion when most of the book was more based on fact and historical knowledge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the complaints about I, I've heard the complaints about Jody's um, acting, but I've always chalked them up to that one particular section of fandom that I just don't want to give any stock to um, because I, I didn't agree with it and I don't I don't see it. Um, but I think, you know, an actor can only do the best of what they can with what they're given. And so for me, it was always, you know, falling back down on the story stuff. And you're right. That part of it almost felt personal, you know, which is really interesting too, because he, it felt like he went to great lengths to defend Chibnall. Yeah. Uh, And the reasons why he had so many issues and why his stories weren't quite as good. I don't think that he went to great lengths to, 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 um, to <laughs> maybe not great lengths. Yeah. But, but I, I think that, I think that he does, he does defend, or the, the book does defend Chibnall somewhat to a point and some of the choices that he made. And so, yeah, I, I was kind of the same way. It was almost like he wasn't a fan of, of, Jody, but he also was a, but he was fan of a, of Chibnall or at least an apologist for Chibnall. And so yeah. Yeah, that, that does come across in the book. I, which I, I which I, I found hate, all of that very interesting. I hate to knowing s- the struggles Chibnall was going through. Sorry, I hate ahead. to say that a, a writer has a bias in something, especially when he's listed a, his source materials, you know, rather methodic methodically oh, in the, true, in the yeah. back. And so a lot of this now, I, I think what it, what doesn't come across is where the research is coming from, because he makes comments in the books at, that fandom as a whole felt this way. It wasn't so much like even it didn't he doesn't break it down enough to say there were areas of fandom that felt this way. There were areas of him that felt this way. It's almost like he paints this this overall picture of all of fandom. This is how fandom felt. And I think that that's. I think even Doctor Who fans, when you're looking at the history of Doctor Who, get into that sort of oversimplifying the feelings of of fandom at that time. And I think that that unfortunately is is what he does here. I want to I this book is aside from the things that we've said that are, are wrong with it. I think the book, if being fans of Doctor Who, I felt, unfortunately, we know a lot of the information that's in this book. And I'm with Sean. I think I picked up on a few more things. That's one of the things that I think the beginning of the book does really well is there's sort of this mythology that has come up surrounding Doctor Who. And part of it is from the movie uh, uh, Ventures in Space and Time. And because they took some poetic liberties with it. But there is this mythology of how things kind of came about. And a lot of it is put at the feet of Verity Lambert. And I'm not saying that she wasn't integral in in Doctor Who. She is basically the mother of Doctor Who. She's, She's the reason why Doctor Who was a success and continued on. But there were a lot of people involved in this show getting it together and getting it started before she even took over. And I like that the book addresses that and, and gives you some of these um, players that were there um, creating the foundation of what the show was going to be before it became what it was. And so that, that was really interesting to hear a lot of that backstory. Once we get into the story of, of, you know, the show being on air, I really feel like as Doctor Who fans, we know a lot of this information and even, even glossing over a lot of the middle era of this, I really felt like, yeah, you're hitting on all the talking points that I know. And so I was really enjoying the comparisons to the political aspects of how things were being reflected in, in the, in the times on the show. And that was really cool. And so, yeah, it kind of feels empty in the middle, but he does explain that because there is a step away from that, as you said, Keith, he's using a crutch and albeit a good crutch, he's using a crutch. And so when you get to a point where you don't have the the analogy that he's used to in writing this, it's just not there. So I guess I can forgive a little bit for that glossing over, although that's an era that I you know, grew up watching Doctor Who and, and really am more interested and fascinated in. But here's... I, I feel like there could have been lots of... if There could have been lots of stories to mine in that area because that 
while he glossed, there was a lot of interesting stuff there that he talked about. Uh, the the idea that you know the general populace started turning away from the show because of the correlation, potentially because of the correlation of the the backstory continuity heavy things that were happening in the show at the time is absolutely fascinating. I, I didn't know any of that and seeing the numbers, the fact that he provided viewing figures for mm-hmm. each episode, whenever he talked about them, I, you know, I, I didn't really pay attention to the viewing fitters figures with Whitaker's run, but seeing those numbers, I can't deny that. And being able to go back and see what those numbers were in the eighties and see them go downhill and posit the idea that, well, this quick, could potentially be why I thought is a valid and interesting exploration. Mm-hmm. I just wanted some additional exploration of the stories that actually happened to. I think also what I think, even though it gets, and, and I think what adds to the dryness is, is all of the numbers when we're talking about viewing figures, every time a viewing figure came up, I kept thinking, Oh God, here's another one. Um, so it feels like it's very <laughs> heavy throughout the book. However, I completely agree that he does a good job of, illustrating the ups and downs of the show by using those viewing figures, because he's absolutely right. It's when, when he, when he's comparing, making comparisons about the dips in the show and how, you know, there it's not being as successful and the masses are turning away, as you said, to kind of in that mid run. And by showing those viewing figures, it's almost kind of supports what he's talking about in those areas as well. So I did appreciate all those viewing numbers being in there because it does work that way. I think the other thing that I thought was interesting is he does, focus a little bit more on the Hinchcliffe era on the Gothic thrills as the, the title mm-hmm. of that chapter is, I think there, he does do a good job of kind of focusing on, on what was happening there also because he's able to kind of gleam onto some of the things, the, the social commentary that's happening in the, in the show as well. But I think when we get into, well, I, when we get into the new era, I think maybe because the social commentary is more obvious to me, this is why I may feel this way, but there's sometimes sometimes life influences art and sometimes art is coincidentally connected to something that's going on. And there are a lot of times in this book where I kind of felt like do was the intent of the creators of that episode or the writer of that episode, was that, were they being influenced by political and social events? There's some that are very obvious, but there's some that he was making connections to that I kind of felt like, yeah, that might've just been coincidental. And I, I wish I could remember a specific example, but there were times, especially in the new who era where I think he was trying too hard to connect the, the um, social and political atmosphere or climate to the, the episodes that were being presented to us. Uh, Weren't there even some instances in the book where he said, well, the author didn't say that there was this connection or but, that yeah. it wasn't inspired by this, but. Right, exactly. And so he, he he felt like he was drawing too heavy on trying to continue to make those connections where I kind of felt like, okay, yeah, I see what you're saying here. They're, they're, that does look that way, but I don't know that it was intentional, you know? So that was one of the things that I took away from it. I was like, yeah, I'm not sure that's... It was almost as if a, a grad student was working on their final thesis and had a fantastic hook at the beginning that then they couldn't quite find enough cooperating stuff to continue on throughout it and just kind of winged it. Mm. You know, I mean... It, I don't want to take anything away from it because as I said, there's a lot of information in this book. I think, and these stories before, but there was a, a, a veritable fountain of stuff that, Oh, okay. That's, you know, th- just the, there were a bunch of little nuggets throughout the, the thing that, you know, made it worth reading. And it, it just, at times it was a bit of a chore to unearth those nuggets in the, the, the mountain of other stuff. Mm-hmm. I, to, to be quite honest with you, as as a fan and knowing a lot of this stuff, I don't know that I got as much out of it as if I were to give this book to a casual fan or somebody a newcomer. I think mm-hmm. that there is a wealth of knowledge here. I think even though there's a lot of person feels like there's a lot of personal input from the author on this, I really think there is a wealth of knowledge here for somebody new to the show or, or just even a casual fan that doesn't know the history, like more of, you know, like a more diehard types that have just heard these stories years and years and years. Um, 
So I think the book is good in that aspect because I think it really captures, I think it, it is a snapshot of the last 60 years and how it came from one point to the, to, to, to the latest, to the 60th anniversary. I think he does a good job of overall sh giving you a picture of how Doctor Who started and survived on television and then didn't survive so much, but then, you know, <laughs> was able to uh, regain that momentum. So I think the book does a good job in that. And I mm -hmm. would recommend it to somebody that's new and doesn't have all this foreknowledge of, of in the background. The other thing I took away from me, it was kind of nice reading this in the 60th anniversary year because it is, it was kind of a step, even though I knew a lot of this stuff, it was kind of a step back through the years. I kind of felt like, a nostalgic uh, mm -hmm. romp through history. And so from that point of view, I enjoyed that much of it as well. And let's, let's be fair to the book too, because I think we aren't the target audience We're for the book. Right. It is the casual fan. Right. So sure. the fact that we have so much knowledge about the show already is going to be to the book's detriment because we will be kind of this skimming those sections because we know it so well. Right. And, and we're going to pick it apart because we... <sighs> Unfortunately, when you when you have a thirst for more information that you don't know and you don't feel like you get it, then you're more apt to kind of put something down because and it's not necessarily the fault of the author. It's more of the fault of the reader because we're wanting to get more out of it than than maybe is being presented. Oh, absolutely. yeah. And speaking to that nostalgia part of it, that was one of the things I really enjoyed about it was the stepping through of the eras of, yeah. And this, this story is going on and talking about each one kind of a little bit and me going, Oh yeah, that was a great story. That makes me want to go rewatch that. And then going on to the next thing of, Oh yeah, that was great. I want to rewatch that now. And, you know, building up my two watch rewatch list because mm -hmm. of stepping through this book and the history of the show. Mm -hmm. Well, and as you pointed out with, um, you know the, the the kind of wide swath paintbrush uh, of, of fandom we're just as guilty of that i mean yeah, we, we've sure. gone back and reviewed things and said well fandom does, you know fandom seems to think that uh, uh talons of wen chiang is just an absolute masterpiece well i'm sure not all fandom thinks that way like we, us. Cer we certainly don't right so you know we're, we're guilty of it as well yeah well and and that's i think that there were some of those instances within the book too that it wasn't phrased as much of fandom or fandom thinks this story is phenomenal it just stated this phenomenal story well i didn't think it was phenomenal mm -hmm. it was okay mm -hmm. not great and so that that's where some of those biases i felt came in sure yeah going back to hinchcliffe real quick i think another reason why he spent so much time focusing on that was all the mary whitehouse stuff yeah yeah that's true. It, it did give a reason to connect it to what was socially happening at that time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it really Which is. Which was interesting. It really, is the, it really is the J&T era that I think he's a lot more disparaging to and feels a lot more empty. But then again, as he admits in the book, they stepped away from that political commentary. And when you're writing a book, yeah. <laughs> when you're writing a book and that's your your thing, that's how that's the element that you're carrying through in this book and you get to a, a a zone here there's not much to do i don't i i suppose maybe the uh and I, we should say brian j rob is the author of this book i don't know if you mentioned that and i think that maybe rob has probably decided that in rather than although there maybe does feel like there might be some personal bias in there maybe he felt like rather than trying to switch gears on how the book is being presented Maybe because he knew he was going to go back to the social commentary element for the new series. I wonder if maybe that it was probably for the best that he kind of glossed over. Maybe that's unfortunately what happens in that, you know, section of the book, because there's not a lot of talk to talk about, about what, you know, comparing it to what was happening in society. So. What's also interesting is that he kind of skips and jumps around some of RTD's era, too. It didn't feel like he really talked too much in detail about David Tennant's time on the show. Like mm -hmm. he talked about like the cultural and how it's reached, you know, pot new popular highs, but it didn't feel like there was as much exploration of the stories of that era too, mm -hmm. which I would think there would be more. And I guess, uh, 
he's written like 77 books um, in all. He's done biographies on Leonardo DiCaprio, Johnny Depp, Brad Pitt. He's written story. He's written books about Star Wars movies, superheroes, gangsters, Walt Disney. So he's he's certainly a pop culture um, writer. He 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 must know his stuff. And I guess he's co-editor of the Sci-Fi Bulletin website. So I guess he's probably a Doctor Who fan as well, <laughs> <laughs> and lives in Edinburgh. So you know, I it he there may be some bias in there. And then again, he's got an extensive he source. He really has a lot of knowledge. He has an extensive source list at the back of this book. And so yeah. he's, he's obviously done his research. So, um, personal bias aside, he's at least got the, uh, he cited his sources for a lot of the information that he's put in this book. Anything else on this book? As you said, it's a, a, a pretty nifty little, uh, retrospective of, uh, of of the eras uh, leading up to the 60th and, and kind of a nice way to get a recap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And of course we want to thank Polaris publishing limited for uh, allowing us to get a copy of this book for us to review. All right. Well, Sean, what do we got coming up on the schedule? Well, coming up next, we continue with our 60th anniversary tie-in materials with the finale of Doomsday, and that will take place over a uh, three-part Big Finish audio and the final part uh, across the Doctor Who digital channels uh, and social media. Then uh, we've got uh, an anniversary special for a a 60th anniversary tie-in. How about uh, a, a look back at the anniversary specials through the years, uh, including... 30 Years in the TARDIS, a documentary about uh, the, the first half of the last 60. Which te- and, uh, technically we're going to review more than 30 Years in the TARDIS because that's what's <laughs> available to us, which is actually the same thing, but it has an extended version that was uh, created in 1993. So, Yes. Or it was extended version of the 1993 special, I guess I should say. Yes. Yeah, 93 was the, the 30th. Uh, and then um, Doctor Who Redacted has returned uh, for a second season, and we will be covering that as well. And then if all goes well, we will be delving in with another Fun and Games episode with a look at the new Cubicle 7 role-playing game. Doctors and Daleks. I am so excited to get into that. We are very grateful to our new friends at uh, Cubicle 7 for uh, assisting us with that one. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. You can find us on our website, travelingthevortex.com. If you get any value out of this podcast, why not consider putting some value back into it? You can do that by becoming a patron and uh, click on that Patreon link and support us there. Uh, when you become a patron of the podcast, you unlock more audios and specials from us. And uh, if you could just give at least $1 a month, that would help us keep the lights on here at uh, Traveling the Vortex. Also, please consider giving us a five-star review wherever you subscribe to the podcast. And uh, be sure to check us out on the various social medias. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. or X, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, we're on Instagram. And we're on TikTok. Anything else we need to uh, touch on before we close this one? If not, until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied. Direction point! Direction point! A Doctor Who Podcast Network.